Children, I am glad that you are here tonight. I don't often have the opportunity to preach to you. I'm glad that you are with your families. And families, they cannot distract me. I am glad that you've brought them to the Lord's house this evening. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. And what we have not, give us. And what we are not, kindly make us. We pray for your son's sake. Amen. Substitution is at the core of the gospel message. That is what Good Friday is all about. And that is what Leviticus 16 teaches us. But to do so, it doesn't give us a series of propositions. It gives us a drama. A drama that actually tells us the story of redemption. A story that is visualized in the sacrificial system. And at the very beginning of that drama, God speaks. If you have your Bible, look with me to Leviticus 16. Our time together this evening will be more beneficial and much more enjoyable if you keep a copy of God's Word open to Leviticus 16. And children, if you want to follow along, there should be Bibles underneath the seat in front of you or near you. You can find Leviticus 16 around page 95 or just ask one of the adults. Leviticus 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Earlier in the book of Leviticus, Aaron and his sons are ordained as priests to enter God's presence on Israel's behalf. They're called to the highest level of integrity, the highest level of ritual purity and holiness, because they were to represent the people before God, and then they were to represent God to the people. But just as soon as the family is ordained, two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, casually waltz right into the presence of the Lord Dismissing all of the regulations, dismissing all of the instructions on how to enter into God's holy presence. And there were devastating consequences. Turn back just a few pages to chapter 10 of Leviticus. Leviticus 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. A strange interaction as we're reading through our Bibles. That's all that we know about it. And it is strange specifically because God has redeemed his people out of the land of Egypt. He's redeemed his people out of the house of slavery, so that they could worship him. And yet the encounter teaches us that redemption does not mean that God does not care how we approach him. God cares. And their actions provoked God. It's a haunting reminder as we read the Bible of the paradox of God's holy presence. He is pure goodness. And yet it is terribly dangerous to those who rebel and insult God's holiness. They provoked God to act. They were consumed by fire, and they provoked God to speak. So careful readers of the book of Leviticus will notice that since their worship debacle, the Lord has been speaking to Aaron and speaking to Moses in the book of Leviticus. Chapter 10, verse 8, the Lord spoke. Chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord spoke. 
Chapter 12, verse 1, and the Lord spoke. Chapter 13, verse 1, and the Lord spoke. Chapter 14, verse 1, and the Lord spoke. Chapter 15, verse 1, and the Lord spoke. Warning them and the people to avoid the uncleanness of sin because of what has just happened. Which is why the chapters focus primarily and entirely on the ritual purity of the people of Israel. But all of the rituals in the book of Leviticus between chapter 10 and chapter 16 have one point. God's holiness affects every part of life. And because God is holy and set apart, the Israelites need to be in a state of holiness themselves to enter into God's presence, which is called being clean or pure. All of the rituals in the book of Leviticus teach us that God's presence was off limits. Off limits to anyone who wasn't in a holy state, which was called being unclean or impure. And they can become unclean or impure in a variety of ways that are often confusing to us. Bodily fluids and skin diseases and touching mold and interacting with the dead. All of which are associated with mortality and the loss of life. And gets us right to the core of all of the significance of these chapters. You become impure when you're contaminated by touching death. Which is the opposite of God whose essence is life. So it is wrong to waltz right into God's presence with symbols of death and impurity on you. So you must avoid it at all costs. But what about when they sin? All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what about all the unclean sins they've already committed? How will all of those things be dealt with? That brings us to Leviticus chapter 16. And at the beginning of that chapter, God speaks once again. And says, verse 2 to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, And shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist. And wear the linen turban. These are holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water. And then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel. Two male goats for a sin offering. And one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself. And shall make atonement. For himself and for his house. As all of the congregation stand outside the tent of meeting, the onlookers watch the priests bathe their bodies and change their clothes and take a bull to offer as a sacrifice to make atonement, verse 6, for himself, lest he, verse 2, die. Now, can you imagine for just a moment what that was like for all of the people of Israel as they watched the drama of the ritual unfold? It showed them that no one, not even the priests, not even the holiest people can represent them before God without first appeasing God's wrath against their own uncleanness of sin. Only, verse 7 then, after dealing with their sin, could they present, represent the congregation before God. Verse 7, then he shall take the two goats. And set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. 
one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. As the worshipers look on from verse 7, the entrance of the tent of meeting, the priest, having cleansed himself, starts to draw closer to the divine presence. The cloud, verse 2, over the mercy seat. As he gathers two goats and he sets them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting to ultimately, verse 9, make a sin offering for the people of Israel to atone for their sins. And verse 10, to symbolize God's removal of sin from Israel by sending a goat away into the wilderness to Azazel. Something that we actually just do not know much about. So little, in fact, you already know everything that I know about Azazel, having read three of the four references to it in the Bible. The other one is in verse 26. And as all of the participants watch, verse 11, they see Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins." And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the sins of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities of its, on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now the length of the section and just our general unfamiliarity with the book of Leviticus and the ritual feast cause us to miss the significance of what is actually taking place on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as the drama unfolds. As we're paying attention to what is pictured for us, as the priest draws near to the divine presence, his sins have to be atoned for by the sacrifice of a bull for his own sin offering. 
And because the priest represents the people before God, as he draws closer to the divine presence, the congregation's sins have to be atoned for by the sacrifice of a goat for their sin offering. And because of the, their sin is so pervasive and it contaminates everything, as the priest draws close to the divine presence, the uncleannesses of the holy place where God's presence dwells has to be atoned for, verse 16, because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And because of their transgressions and all their sins. With the blood of the bull for his sin offering. And the blood of the goat for their sin offering. Their sin has contaminated absolutely everything. But their sin must not only be atoned for. As the priest approaches God for the people. It also has to be sent away from the people. Because the priest represents God to the people. And the holy God cannot be near sin. So as the priest continues to get closer and he draws near to the divine presence, this live goat is presented before him, which we know as the scapegoat. And it would be brought forward so that the priest could symbolically place all of their iniquities on this goat by laying his hands over it and confessing, verse 21, all of their iniquities over the goat and laying all of their transgressions on the goat before verse 22, sending it away to where it would certainly die. Their sin must literally be put to death. All of Leviticus 16 is a dramatic display of how pervasive sin is. It's committed by absolutely everyone, the priest and the people. It contaminates and corrupts everything from the tent to the altar. And it is a dramatic display of how seriously God takes sin. It must be forgiven. It must be removed from the people. It literally must be put to death. Friends, let me ask you, whether you're a Christian here this evening, whether you're here and you're not a believer, how can sin be so important to God and so unimportant to you? We downplay the offense of sin to God. We minimize the consequences of sin in our lives and the lives of all of those around us. We ignore the coming punishment for sin. But God did not ordain the sacrificial system or dramatize the events of this ritual feast to communicate the insignificance of sin. Sins you have committed, sins I have committed, Sins that absolutely everyone has committed because the Bible teaches us you are a sinner. And if you do not believe me, I can prove it to you tonight. All we need to do is have a very honest conversation with your parents or your spouse or your kids or your friends or your coworkers, And they will tell you about the truth of your sin. And the devastating consequences of your sin and your life and their life. Though referring specifically to the cross of Christ, the teaching of the great hymn that we sung just a few moments ago, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, applies when it says, Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. After representing the people to God, Verse 23, Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. 
And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments and come out, and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offerings of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside of the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards he may come into the camp. After the sins are laid on the goat and the scapegoat is sent into the wilderness, the priest, the person who led the scapegoat out into the wilderness, where years later in the Jewish tradition, they would not only lead it out into the wilderness, but to literally put it to death, they would walk it to the edge of a cliff. And they would put it to the edge of a cliff and they would tie a rope around something by the edge of the cliff. And without looking, they would push it off the edge of the cliff so that it would literally dash to death come back to the camp had to come and take off all of his clothes and bathe himself and then the person who had to carry the carcasses for the priest's sin offering and the person who carried the carcass for the people's sin offering had to take those outside away from the people of Israel because of their sin and come back in and strip himself and bathe himself and clean himself as the drama continues to contrast the holiness of God with the sinfulness of the people and the necessity for all people, whether it's the priest or the attendant or the worshiper, to be cleansed from sin by following the meticulous directions of approaching God in worship. Why do you then think that God does not care how we worship him as long as it brings us fulfillment, and makes us happy. Friends, Leviticus 16 teaches us only when God is worshipped the way that he is revealed. The Lord has spoken. Can we expect the forgiveness of sins, the removal of guilt, and the nearness of his presence? Which is why the drama of this day is to be, verse 29, for the people, a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly, and this shall be a statute forever, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all of their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded him. The annual repetition of the drama was to accentuate the point of the chapter, atonement. Go back, reread the chapter, and you'll find 16 references to atonement throughout the chapter. And it makes very clear the role of the priest, as well as the responsibility of the worshiper throughout the entirety of the whole process of cleansing themselves from sin. And yet, even at the end of this chapter, we ask ourselves, why? Why all of the drama? God can do whatever he wants. All of the drama 
was to prepare the people. If you have your Bible, I need you to flip with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I will not be expounding on Hebrews 9, but I am going to read Hebrews 9. All of the drama from Leviticus 16 is to prepare the people for what we read in Hebrews chapter 9. Not even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared at the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we now cannot speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second section, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls And the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who has made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all of the people. He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. 
but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Friends, the drama of the Day of Atonement made abundantly clear God's hatred for sin, which if it is continued, resulted not only in defilement, but also death. So if the chosen people were were required to reflect the holiness of their covenant God. And the drama of the Day of Atonement provided a new beginning each year for the fulfillment of that ideal. They, They are to be holy. As it visualized the universality and the omnipresence of sin from the priest to the worshiper. But it also visualized that no person can make atonement for their sins. Friends, I wonder if that describes you here tonight. Much of your religion... Your Christianity, your Bible reading, your attendance at church, your tithing, your prayers. is trying to appease God to forgive you of the sins that you hate in your life but you can't put away. You will never be able to do enough to atone for your sins. Your presence here tonight reminds us of that. You need something to be done for you. To put sin away forever. And the repetition of the drama teaches us of the need for a human mediator. But it showed the weakness of this system because that mediator needed to have his sins atoned for as well. We needed something more than what Leviticus offers so that we could have a full and final forgiveness For the Christian, the drama of the Day of Atonement looked forward. It looked beyond all of those days to what the book of Hebrews tells us is the day when the representative human being, Jesus Christ, came and then he would bear the sins of the world as the Lamb of God. And he did it because the blood of bulls and goats could not possibly remove sin. They could not remove the defiling taint of all of our sin that touches absolutely everything. And if we're honest about the sin in our life, we see it. It corrupts and it corrodes. It makes us wicked. It makes us foolish. It makes us do things that we would never do in our right minds. Only one who was truly God and truly man could reconcile God and man. So as Leviticus 17, 11 says, The blood is in the life of the flesh, and it is only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that the believer receives the forgiveness of sin and the removal of guilt and unhindered access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the righteous. God gave the people the book of Exodus so that they would know the regulations of how to worship him. But he gave them the book of Leviticus so that they would know that they needed sacrifice because he knew that they would not keep the regulations. And those sacrifices, the book of Hebrews tells us, prepared them 
It prepared them for the substitutionary nature of Jesus' sin-bearing death on the cross that not only forgive all of our sin, but give us access to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, we have the privilege to worship the triune God and to bring Him glory, to give Him praise for His holiness and His grace and His mercy because of what Christ has done. The Day of Atonement was all preparation for Calvary. So as Christ was dying on the cross on that first Good Friday, nearly 2,000 years ago, the highly embroidered veil of the temple was torn in half from top to bottom, signifying God's judgment on it. It is done. It is finished. It was insufficient. But the final act has come in Christ. God has moved history, friends, to save our souls. And now the way into his most holy presence has been opened for us through the torn flesh and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why we are here this evening, looking back, looking back at these events at Calvary and looking back at these rituals for the Day of Atonement when our redemption was actually realized on the cross. Friends, Jesus made the supreme sacrifice by offering himself as our substitute, a once-for-all salvation for us. And that salvation, friends, is more sure and real than gravity. And our high priest is over the household of faith, the Christian church. And it is through him that we draw near to God as forgiven sinners to praise God for his glory and grace. See, one of the great errors that we can make here this evening is to think that Calvary, the cross, the forgiveness of sins was it. It is not simply about the forgiveness of sins so that you feel good about the forgiveness of your sins. But it was about the forgiveness of sins so that you could come near to God and worship him without being consumed. And now we draw near in full assurance and confidence knowing that our Savior who has loved us and given himself up for us offers us everlasting life and joy to the end of all things. Friends, this is what Good Friday is all about. An unbeliever, if you are here tonight, we are here to tell you that you are in the best of all types of places. You can know the forgiveness of sins. And you can worship the one true and living God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All you have to do, the Bible says, is recognize your need of him and turn from that sin and trust in Christ. And you will be forgiven of all of your sins. Friend, what would prevent you from trusting Christ tonight? Come to Christ. We would love to talk to you about knowing Christ. Find me or one of the pastors at one of the exits following this service. Friend, substitution is at the core of the gospel message. Jesus died in our place and he bore our sin away that we might be able to draw near to God. That is what Good Friday is all about. And that is what Leviticus 16 teaches us. And to do it, it doesn't give us a series of propositions. Here are all of the facts that if you know them, you're saved. It gives us a drama. It tells us a story of redemption. It visualizes for people who think, if I have the facts, I'll be fine. To communicate to them what they want to suppress and don't want to believe. That they are corrupted to the core. 
And then doing so, like all of the other feasts, it actually retells us a part of the story of how God redeemed his people out of Israel and led them through the wilderness on the way to the promised land because in that land was his presence. In that land was God. Friends, by celebrating this feast, Israel would remember who they were and who God was for them. By gathering every Good Friday until our Lord comes, we are remembering who we are. Sinners devastated by our sin. Lost, broken, helpless, corrupted, wicked, rotten. And who our Savior, Jesus Christ, is to us. Friend, brother, substitute, mighty Savior to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to bask in the truth of the finished work of Christ tonight, even as we sing in just a few moments. We dare to approach you tonight in confidence because of what Jesus did for us and for our salvation. And in so doing, Father, we come near and we sing boldly because we know that this life will not have the final word for us, that death will not have the last word for us, that what is promised to us in Christ is life and joy and peace and fellowship with God Almighty and all of our brothers in Christ. So we pray that you would help us now to sing with great confidence because our Redeemer lives. Amen.